Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Love you, man. Uh, I kissed him on his bald head. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to ask all the men that were at the men's retreat. Now, if you're a man here and you were unable to attend the men's retreat, we're not throwing you under the bus. Life happens. Maybe you just didn't want to come. I don't know. But uh, I'm going to ask all the men, and, and we had men from old guys like Howie, you know, all the way down to young guys like Andrew, all of the men that were at the men's retreat. Now, this morning we had man band plus one. At the men's retreat, we had the man band, and they were tight. Let me tell you, they were awesome. They rocked it for Jesus. So the man band, the plus one, sorry, you stay in your seat, but the man band, come on up here. If they took a break, somebody get them. Stand up on the stage. And then all the rest of us that were at the retreat, and I need somebody to take several pictures. Andrew, you're going to have to come up here. Somebody's going to have to take your job. Come on up. Sound man, come on up here. Everybody that was at the men's retreat, we want to get a picture of these wonderful hunk of burning love right here, man. That's what we want to get is this hunk of burning love, men. If there are any men that are, yeah, squeeze in together, guys, like we like each other, okay? Uh, I don't know, maybe somebody needs to stand on a chair, but Angela, not you, not you. You got kind of high heels on, all right? No, 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 we don't want you to fall. Come on, come on up, bro. We're getting a picture of everybody at the camp. Come on, come on, come on, John. We want you in this picture, all right? Reichard, come on, get your tail up here, buddy. All right, do, can some of them stand on the stage and still get them in there and not cut their, oh, dude, John, John, you stink, man. Can you get us all now? Okay, look back there. Everybody say cheese. Are we good? All right, let's hear it for the men. Come on. Help me up, dude. Thank you. <clears throat> What a time we had. We literally had a blast. God met with us in a special, special way. Everything was good. The worship was good. The fun was good. Uh, I hope this is not going to be a dry sermon. I don't know if Riker didn't like my preaching or what, but he gave me two bottles of water here. And... uh, My biggest concern about this stage is stepping off the back of it. I have an evangelist friend who broke his leg in Eastern Europe after the Berlin Wall fell on a very stage like this. So if I get too anointed and step back, somebody shout, oh no, or something like that. Love your pastor, love his family. You have a real man of God for a pastor. Uh, You really do. You really do. It takes a leadership gift. That was a pretty pathetic clap. You have a real man of God for a pastor. (laughs) I wouldn't say that if it wasn't the truth. I'm not about fluff. I'm not about that at all. I'm about substance. And uh, it takes a real leader to start a church. And then it takes a preacher to sustain a church. And then it takes a shepherd, a pastor, to continue that church long term. And in the Western world, we usually don't see those three gifts together, but your pastor has that. He really does. And he gives my generation hope. Of course, we want to be relevant, but we've made an idol out of relevance in the Western church. I have preached this gospel in 54 countries of the earth, 
and a couple observations I've noticed is um, whenever the church is on fire, the men are leading the way. The Lord gave me a prophetic word for your church during my devotions yesterday morning as I was reading from Revelation chapter 5. That is not our text today, but it's about the harps and the bowls. Remember, John sometimes was looking up into heaven. Sometimes he was up into heaven and he was looking down on earth. Sometimes it's real hard to understand if he's looking down on earth or up into heaven, kind of two-dimensional all at once. It's just a coded book. It's, it's all about what happened in the Roman Empire and what's happening this very day. You and I are living out the book of Revelation. And he often talked about harps and bowls, and the harps represented the praise and worship of God's people. That's why you don't just stand there during the worship. You participate. You lift your hands. You lift your voice. You make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Some of you can't sing like Dave Reese over here. Just... Throwing him under the bus. Actually, he used to be in our choir. We had a choir that was relevant in the days. The name's politically incorrect now, but the name of our choir was the Flaming Missiles for Jesus. If you saw any of the sister act movies, that was like our choir, honestly. We did youth conventions. We did camps. We did tours overseas. Uh, the, the leader of our music ministry, his name was Michael Day, and he was in a group called Champagne, down in Champagne. They had a number one hit, kind of a love song, uh, How About Us. And he, we just had a blast for Jesus. And the Lord took him home, and he's up there probably leading choirs in heaven. So the harps in the book of Revelation represent praise and worship. But the bowls represent the prayers of God's people. And I know there were a group of people in this church, you, you prayed for over a year, and maybe you haven't seen, and it was regularly, it was systematically, it was like weekly. I don't know if it was numerous times a week or what it was. And perhaps daily, perhaps you haven't seen happen what you thought was going to happen. Well, I'm just here to tell you, based on the authority of God's word, that those prayers are, have been stored in a golden bowl in heaven. And the name on that bowl is Thrive Church. And God's just waiting to pour that incense out. And in order for incense to ascend and incense to work, it has to be set on fire. And I felt prompted of the Spirit to remind the men that you're the ones that are going to set the incense on fire. All of those thousands of prayers that have been prayed are going to come to fruition. They're going to come to pass if you men will lead the way. So you don't just stand there and worship, you participate. Now in the Western world, we've got good about drinking coffee in church. I'm not uh, bad about that, I like coffee. You know, I think coffee will be in heaven. I could never be a Mormon, they can't drink coffee, okay. <laughs> Holy Spirit and coffee keeps me going, I like, you know. But, but it won't change your heart. It won't change your disposition. It won't change your nature. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was crucified. He shed his blood for you. He hung between heaven and earth. He paid the penalty for your sin. He was buried and supernaturally the Holy Spirit raised him up from the dead and he appeared for 40 days one time to over 500 people at once and he ascended into heaven in a cloud and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty making intercession for you. That's the gospel. That's what saves you. It's not facilities. I'm getting a little preachified here and I haven't even read the text yet. It's not coffee that saves you. I will say Costa Rican coffee is pretty close, but it's not, it's not the gospel. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 4. You have a good preacher, and I can tell church, I'm in a different church all the time, and I can tell churches that have a good preacher, and this church loves the word of God. So we're talking about God's idea of a great church. Our ideas are different than God's. Our, a beautiful building is a great church. Now, you guys need a building, and we're believing God for a building. And, and I've already contributed to your building fund, and you need to contribute more to it. 
You need to systematically give to that on a regular basis. God is going to give you a home. Well, I kind of like meeting in a gym. I think it's cool. Well, where were you this morning when they were unloading everything? Don't get all spiritual and weird on me, okay? I want you to be spiritual, but I don't want you to be weird. You just need a home. That's what you need. It's just like buying your own home. You need a place where you can lay your head down on a pillow and say, this is ours. And God's going to give it to you. We've got $100,000 in the bank. We need to get about a quarter of a million in the bank. If you're a person of means, you need to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about giving significant amounts. But anybody can give anything, including the widow's might. This is not even my church, and I've given to your building program. Done it. Let's make it happen for Jesus. Let's just believe God this year, supernaturally. He'll give us a building. And as important as that is, that's not God's idea of a great church. I'm not against programs. I like programs for children and youth and young adults and all that. But let's stand in honor of God's word and we'll read from Acts chapter 4. We'll read verses 23 all through about 25. We'll see how it goes. And being let go, they went to their own companions. This was Simon Peter and the apostle John. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, when, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, had said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand. Now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Let's go ahead and go to verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power, verse 33, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace. Everybody say great power. Everybody say great grace was upon them all, nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. Now that's not a verse for communism or socialism. It's just a verse that proves when things get rough, God's people are always there and they will always help. That'd been a good place for an amen. amen. And laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Lord, add your blessing to the reading of your word. Give us revelation and understanding, I pray. Amen. Guys, give your wife a kiss on the cheek there or wherever. And everybody else, wish you were, you could, but you can be seated. God says the church is our storehouse. It's a training, discipleship, redemptive center. God's will is that we are trained in the church and then we go out in the highways and the byways with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am so grateful for my little home church. You don't have to be big in number to be a church that God is pleased with. But you have to have in that church what God says is important regardless of what the culture thinks and says is important. 
I grew up in a little farming community. Had my first paper out in the fourth grade, started my first savings account in the fourth grade, started my own mowing business. I hired the guys who weren't as smart to do the work, and I booked all the meetings. No, I'm just kidding. I had my own snow removal business. I delivered papers. My father was a lot older than my mother. He had strokes. We cared for him at home in a hospital bed, and I had to help contribute to the family so we could survive. Three hungry boys. I had dinner last night with Pastor and Angela and their family, and those boys woofed down that food beautifully. We had steak. It was awesome. They inhaled it. It was an awesome experience. What a great family. My older brother was leaving for Vietnam. I graduated from high school. My mother, grandmother, my younger brother, and myself, we drove from West Central Illinois all the way to San Diego, California. I drove all the way except for about two hours. And when we got there, I had a terrible stomach ache. And they wanted to go out to eat. And I said, you guys go ahead and go. And I'm just going to stay here in the apartment and rest. And while they were gone, my appendix burst. They were, ended up being gone almost five hours. They decided to do some shopping and sightseeing. And I couldn't even get to the phone. I was in such pain and agony. Passing out, coming to. Passing out, coming to. Finally, they came home. They put me in a little 53-bed naval hospital. The interns doped me up on morphine. That's really good stuff. It's like, hey, can you give me some more of that? And they said, we thought you'd be the addictive type. Man, I heard things and saw things I've never heard and seen in my life. It was, it was amazing. And then the, the, the surgeon showed up. All I remember him doing is cussing out the interns that were there. And they did exploratory surgery on me, took everything out. It was an eight-hour surgery cleaned me out, peritonitis had set in in several days, and even to this day, if you're in the medical profession, you know it's still hard to tell 100% of the time from a blood test if your appendix has burst. They did exploratory surgery. They cleaned me out. I was on medicine for a year. I went from 165 pounds to 85 pounds, but after that surgery on the third day, the surgeon said he's not going to make it. Abscesses have formed. We're going to have to do another surgery. You need to call family, the family in. This 17-year-old boy is not going to make it. And you know what my home church did? My little home church of 125 people, they organized a 24-hour prayer chain in a rural community, hard-working farm families, factory-working families. And they came to that little church, and they prayed 24 hours around the clock that God would spare a 17-year-old boy's life. And here I am today with you in Lockport, Illinois, because of a healthy local church. Never had to have that surgery. They did the final examination. They said, we don't understand, but all the infection is gone, but you still got to take tetracycline for a long time. God is so good. I love the local church. I believe in the local church. Our text today shows us what a great church looks like. Look at verse 33. It says, and with great power, the apostles... And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There's great power in a church. And that power was Holy Spirit power. It was witnessing power. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. I believe the initial physical evidence of the spirit baptism is praying in a language that you've never learned. But I believe the lifelong evidence of a spirit-filled Christian is that you tell other people about Jesus. You learn how to pray for the lost. You learn how to care for the lost. And you beg your pastor to teach you how to share with the lost. 
I've been in the Pentecostal church. Maybe you don't know it. Maybe you're a guest here today. But this is a Pentecostal church. That means we are not afraid of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Most churches in the Western world and in Canada and the United States, they understand the love of God. They understand the forgiveness of the Son. But they know little about the Holy Spirit. In their doctrine, they're Trinitarian. But in their practice, they completely ignore the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You know who makes you afraid of the Holy Spirit? It's the devil. It's not the Father and it's not the Son. You've got, until you can properly relate to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the Christian life will not work for you. You can buy the fanciest refrigerator in the world and spend a lot of money on it. But that refrigerator and all of our appliances in our kitchens have to be plugged into an invisible force called electricity in order for them to work. And I'll tell you why the Christian life doesn't work for some people. It's because they ignore the Holy Spirit. They don't talk to the Holy Spirit. They're not hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. They don't ask for the gifts of the Spirit. If you want the Christian life to work for you, I want you to read the Bible. I want you to study the Bible. I want you to do all those things. But the Christian life, the Bible will not work for you no matter how disciplined you are, no matter how much you believe it, unless you are in proper relationship with the Holy Spirit. I've seen the Pentecostal church change. We used to be known for our presence and for the power of God. And we've gotten good at organization, and I like organization. We've gotten good at business models, and certainly I'm not against business models. But there are a few churches that you can walk in today and sense God's presence. Few presence-based churches. Few churches that go after the presence of God. I told the men, a man by the name of Dr. Leonard Sweet, a United Methodist, he begged 100 of us Pentecostal ministers in a meeting that he was teaching to stay Pentecostal, to stay presence-based. The good Samaritan went to where the wounded man was. The man was unable to help himself. And this is why we've been given the Holy Spirit. We have to go where people are. We have to minister to their wounds. Philip went to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 6, joined himself to the chariot, led the man to Christ, and baptized him in water. The great power, this great power of the Holy Spirit, it's mandatory for a great church. Only the power of God can break apathy. Only the power of God can break addictions. Only the power of God can break the hold of the devil. We can reach every other peak of the world's success but we are nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're not, but there are scores of people that are looking for a place of deliverance, a church of great power. We've got to make room for the Holy Spirit. We've got to give him space. That's what I love about your worship leader, Reichert. He doesn't just go from one song to the next, but he gives you a little bit of space to praise the Lord. Don't just stand there, open your mouth, and begin to praise the Lord out loud. He is doing that with intentionality. He's giving the Holy Spirit space. I was in a meeting one time, Pastor, and <clears throat> it was one of those community clergy meetings, and you know, there was a a Muslim iman there, and there was a Buddhist monk there, and there was every liberal preacher you could think of under the sun. And my Jewish rabbi friend, who's a good guy, good speaker, the subject was speaking, preaching, and he was the teacher. So he does his little thing, and then, <coughs> the, then he says, Gary, you're a Pentecostal. He said, what's Pentecostal preaching? I'll tell you what came out of my heart. And I said, well, Rabbi Bloom, I said, Pentecostal preaching is preaching with an expectation that our people will encounter the presence of God. We want you to experience the person and work of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
We want you, this may be a gym, but we want you to have a sensing that God Almighty is here and he's working down in the deep recesses of our heart. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to move. That means we're more about guiding than we are controlling. We value presence more than style. That means the worship team's got to be flexible. Maybe you plan four sets, but the Spirit's moving. You need to give it to the preacher, and you only do three. And if you get offended, you forfeit yourself to be a worship leader. We, adv- we value adventure more than comfort. We welcome the Holy Spirit. I'm wondering what mic I can use right here. Turn this on. It's already on. Brother Dave Reese. He's Christian motorcycle pastor, president, vice president, chaplain, travels all over, driven way too many miles crazily on a motorcycle. On fire for God. He's seeking his ministerial credentials now. He's already taken a bunch of classes on it. But uh, Dave, just we're talking about the presence of God. Yeah. The presence of God is what made such a paradigm shift in my life. I went from somebody that was just destructive and divisive, and what mischief can I get into? And I tell you, the change was, first of all, my heart, and now my goal is not mischief, but ministry. Who can I tell about Jesus? Who can I reach? That's what I think about. That's the intent of my heart. And it's because, Gary, I came into his church, and I'll never forget this, 1997, getting drug off to church, didn't really want to be there. All I knew was I needed Jesus. And I walk in this building, and we get in the back, and there's this presence of God. Now, if you know me, if you ever hear my testimony, I'm a 20-year drug addict, alcoholic. There's not any drug I haven't done, way too much. Shouldn't even be able to hold a conversation. God took all that away. So I sit in the back of there, and I feel this presence of God that was overwhelming. It was wonderful. It was what I seeked in a bottle. It was what I seeked in a pill. And my wife, we just got married. She goes, you feel that? I said, yes, ma'am. She says, think they're putting drugs in the airstream? I said, I don't care. (laughs) And I've been addicted to the presence of God ever since. But the change, and the change that still happens. Here's the thing about the church and the presence of God. If you will engage it, all of us have banners that hide parts of our lives. If you allow those banners, those borders, those walls, because we live in a real temporal society, guys. It's all about social media and look at me. And there's nothing wrong with that to a point. But there is a point of humility where you'll get real with God and, man, what he will do with you. Do you realize every one of you have a ministry? Every one of you is called to do something huge and big that maybe you don't think there's any way. October 3rd, 1997, he... Gary put men around me that mentored me, that really looked out for me, and I was very resistant. They drug me off to a promise keepers. October 3rd, 1997, a million guys. I was blown away. I'm like, man, there's something to this fellowship thing. Literally a million guys. It was in Washington, D.C. Literally, and my heart is for the Sioux people, the Aglala Lakota, and the first guy I saw on the stage had a teepee and a headdress. He was Native American, and just ever since that time, something's happened. But I'll never forget, on my face, just crying out to God, one is will. And he goes, David, feed my sheep. And I'm going, Lord? He said, feed my sheep. And I said, do I need to get rid of my motorcycle? He says, no, don't cut your hair. Here's the great thing. You were created as a unique individual, and he wants to use you. If you love motorcycles, great. If you love music, great. Tony, you ride a bike? You need to. I want you in my club. <laughs> Any of you brothers that ride, man, hook up with me before I leave. I got no Amen. problem riding 100 miles an hour or 100 miles to have a cup of yeah, coffee. No, I don't do 100. No, it's about fellowship, getting together, getting Amen. together with guys. Amen. And so the presence of God is what brought this change. That's the it. church, everything I'm doing, I'm 20 years in my own business. I used to be a bum. I had no responsibility. was the church and the presence of God. Hallelujah. Give it up for Pastor Dave. So, Dave, it wasn't the dynamic preaching that day. It wasn't the worship. It was all good, hopefully, but it was the presence of God. That's what a great church is. It has great power. Look at our text. They also had great grace, and great grace was upon them all. You and I are a product of God's grace. Aren't you glad you don't get what you deserve? 
Man, am I glad I don't get what I deserve. There are so many people in America who've given up on the church. But I love the church. It is healthy to be a part of a church home. You can grow there. You can give there. You can live for something bigger than yourself. You can connect with other people there. Because we are recipients of this abundance of grace, that's what gives us abundant life. There's nothing more beautiful than when God's grace is moving in a church. And people like each other, and people support each other, and people help each other. It's the most beautiful thing on the planet. I pastored for almost three decades in the most liberal community in the state of Illinois, Urbana, Illinois. Real, real close to the university. We have lots of university students. The truth is, our church is more ethnic than it is Anglo. We have 50 to 60 nations of the earth every given weekend. It's quite an amazing thing. And one Sunday, I noticed this young man sitting right down over here, and he had a nail sticking through his lip out. It was about, I don't know, not, not about a six or an eight penny nail. A hole in his lip sticking out, sprayed purple. Well, he ended up responding to the appeal, the altar call at the end, and he gave his life to Jesus. And I said, what's your story? He said, I made a bet with my buddies last night in a bar, a local bar, and he named the bar that if I came to church with a nail in my lip, you guys would kick me out. And the oldest person in your church saw me across the parking lot and became my friend, and I sat by her, and she got, she got me coffee, she talked to me, and, and, and I just have to repent of my sin because I'm going to hell. Now, some of you don't know what a Pentecostal bun is. You do. The oldest lady in our church had, listen, she had hair so long she could beat you to death with it. I mean, it was unbelievable, especially when it was wet. But she had put it up in what we call a Pentecostal bun. And she would wear, because the early Pentecostals, they thought it was wrong for women to cut their hair because they misinterpreted a scripture in 1 Corinthians. Anyhow, she always wore dresses down to here, dresses here, dresses all the way to the floor. But I'm telling you, she had the grace of God upon her life. And like you, Dave, Lynn Claire's mother, she always had a burden for the down and outer, the misfits. Just like you, that's who you have a burden for. A lady came to our church who was obviously a lady of the streets with her little daughter. She wasn't dressed properly. Her dress was way too low. It was way too short. You should dress appropriately. She was leaning against the car. And this same old lady with the long dress and the Pentecostal bun saw this lady out in the parking lot. She was a door greeter. And she realized she doesn't know anybody here. She's not used to coming to church. And she went out and started a conversation with her. She's told somebody else to take her responsibility as a door greeter. I think you ought to be responsible. You ought to be on duty. But once in a while, you've got to get somebody else to cover for you because the Holy Spirit is wanting to use the grace of God in your life to extend His grace to somebody else's life. And she brought that lady in, and she was a woman of the night, and she gave her life to Jesus. She ended up marrying an Assembly of God preacher. And it wasn't because of my preaching, and it wasn't because of the worship, and all of that's important. But it was because of the grace of God that was working in and through a lady in the church. Look at Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> are you getting anything out of this? Well, I'm glad few of you are. Look at Acts chapter 5. If you know your Bible, you know this story. How in the early church there was this husband and wife who decided to lie and act like they were giving a lot and they weren't really giving a lot. And so Ananias, Peter, Simon Peter rebuked him in Acts chapter 5 verse 3. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit, kept back part of the price of the land for yourself? Why didn't you just tell the truth if you didn't want to give it all? Why did you lie? And it says in verse 5, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, breathed his last. So great fear came upon all, all those who heard 
all those who heard this. And then his wife came in later, didn't know what happened, and she lied. And the same thing happened to her. She fell dead. Look at verse 11. And great fear came upon all the children and upon all who heard these things. Maybe we need some people to fall dead in church. God's idea of a great church is a church that has great fear. We respect God. We honor God. If you say a bad word, please don't use the Lord's name in vain. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Please don't do that. A great church has great fear. I'm not talking about being afraid of God. I'm talking about honoring and reverencing God. People are so flippant about their relationship with Jesus. Even preachers are casual about their relationship with Jesus. And then they wonder why their kids don't serve God. Listen, the fear of God is a force in your life. It will help you to say no to the devil and the flesh and the world. I don't know if this scripture is on the screen, but write it down, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. How do you get closer to Jesus? How do you say no to the devil, the the world? It's by fearing God. Let's be honest with you this morning. When I was in high school football, some of the guys paid a girl to get me to go to bed with her. And I wanted to, but I was afraid to because I was afraid in the middle of it, Jesus had come back. You say, you're weird. No, it kept me a virgin. It kept me, it's called the fear of God. Did you know Jesus, every scripture that needs to be fulfilled for Jesus Christ to come back has been fulfilled and he could come back right now. And if we are not right with him, we could be left in this empty auditorium. We don't fear God in a paranoid way, but we fear God because he's great and he's awesome. That's what a great church is. In Acts chapter 8, if you'll turn there, Another thing that God considers a great church is not only a church that has great fear and great grace and great power, but they have great joy. Philip was a deacon, and he went preaching in Samaria. You don't have to be a preacher to preach. Everybody should tell somebody about Jesus. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, he went everywhere preaching the word. Philip, or The disciples went everywhere preaching the word. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And that's what we preach. We preach Christ and Christ crucified. We don't just give talks, but we preach the gospel. And the people heeded the things that were spoken by Philip. They heard and they saw the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And look at verse number 8. And there was great joy in that city. Are you glad you're saved? I am. During the worship today, I was looking down here at these little girls, and from my view, I could see little shine. And man, on one of those first songs, she was just rocking back and forth for Jesus, just so happy, and it just brought joy to my heart. Real joy flowed in the early church. It says in Acts 2, 46, they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness, simplicity of heart. This is God's plan for your life. John 15, 11, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You know what the key to the joy of the Lord is? Obedience. Do what God tells you to do in his word and by your spirit. John 13, 7, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. That's why we have to have hearts that go after God. I'm glad you're saved, but if you want the joy of the Lord, you've got to have a heart that goes after God, that seeks God, that forsakes sin. 
We go after him with a humble heart. We go after him with a teachable spirit. We walk in obedience. And Acts 5.32 says the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. Do you know how powerful joy is in a church? I told you about Michael Day. He was personal friends with Stevie Wonder. He was in this group called Champagne. His number one hit was How About Us. Some people are made for each other. Boom, boom, boom. How about us? It was a top 40 hit. So you millennials and Zs don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Michael Day had never been to church. He went to two Catholic masses and ended up leaving before they were over. One was a funeral mass. One was a wedding mass. And he just left. He had never been to church. He married a backslidden Pentecostal girl from Springfield, Illinois, left his first wife. And I was preaching a meeting, a little missions meeting in Springfield for Mark Johnson. And um, boy, it was a God thing. We had no money when we went to Urbana. He said, give a 15-minute speech. They filled my van full of food. They gave me $1,000. I said, I can speak for 60 minutes. He gave me a thousand for fifteen. I said I can speak for sixty. <laughs> and one of the guys that carried the groceries out to our van said, "Hey, your tires are illegal. They don't pass the quarter test. You know what I'm talking about, guys." I said, "Yeah, I know, but I've charged up all my credit cards. I got to take care of my family. I've used up all my savings. I took this church of thirty people. I have no money. I just, I don't know what to do." He goes, "Hey," he said, "Go to this lady." I'll pay for your tires. I'll pay for everything. Put, ended up leading that lady to the Lord. She's in the church now, Donna Turpin. And, and he goes, by the way, I have a cousin over there. Do, do you visit people? I go, yeah, we have a Tuesday night visitation program. And I'd be happy to visit your cousin. Well, she used to serve the Lord and doesn't serve the Lord anymore. And so Tuesday nights, we'd go over there and knock on the door. And Hi, my name's Gary. This, you know, this is my friend Dave here. and We're from Stone Creek Church. And... And I met your cousin over in Springfield. Oh, blah, blah. Never invited us in. I'd always give them a Pentecostal evangel. I'd always give them one of the church bulletins. They were blown away that we listed people's needs and prayed for people. We listed them discreetly and prayed for people. One Easter Sunday morning, Rena got up and the Holy Spirit said, I have something for you. You need to go to church. She came to church that Easter Sunday. Maybe we had 100 people there. I did one of Tommy Barnett's illustrated sermons, The Whip, The Hammer, The Cross. Thirteen people came forward for salvation. She was one of them. I knew she was a backslidden Pentecostal. I said, Rena, just lay down your sin. Just walk in obedience. The Lord will restore your joy. She was just gloriously wept her way to the Lord. I laid hands on her. She was refilled with the Holy Spirit. Began to pray in that language that she had not prayed in since she was a little kid. And I mean, she came back Sunday night. She came to Wednesday night Bible study. She came to Tuesday night uh, a prayer meeting. She just got on fire for God. She'd always say, pray for Michael. Pray for Michael. Michael was very smart. He had four recording studios. Addicted to marijuana. You know, it's amazing. Musicians think they can play better if they're toked up a little bit with liquor and marijuana. But it's not the truth. Just look at the Charlie Daniels band. Anyhow, anyhow. Um, Michael never came to church. They had a good marriage even though they had not been saved. And she made a deal with him. said, Michael, when I'm at church, will you at least read the Bible? He said, yeah, sure. I want to see what you're believing. So she'd come early and stay late. And he'd read the Bible. I can't even get saved people to read the Bible. He read the Bible all the way through. Genesis all the way to Revelation. He read it again. Genesis all the way through Revelation. He read it again. Genesis all the way to Revelation. He read it again. Genesis all the way to Malachi. And then he read Matthew, Mark, Luke. And Rena was gone one weekend and he came to church. And we had this crazy choir and they were shaped like a V. And in the middle was this little intern, Lucy Gonzalez, a little Mexican-American girl that just was so full of the joy of the Lord. Your bodily expressions, 
the way you worship the Lord, your facial expression, it matters. It matters to the next generation. There's nothing more powerful than for a little child to see a grown man worship God. There's nothing more manly than for a grown man to worship God and humble himself before the creator of the universe. And he saw that little girl from the Quad Cities, from Moline. and She was just worshiping God with abandonment. And he said in his heart, he came that weekend because Rena was gone, and these are his words, not mine. He wanted to see what kind of buffoonery his wife was involved in. And he sat back there. He had long hair, and he looked like the old Mr. Clean. And he was all dressed in white. He just sat back there like this. But when he saw that girl sing, sing, he saw the joy of the Lord on her her life. He said, I don't know what that is, but I want that. Just like you, Dave, you did not know what that was. That was the presence of God. That's what attracted you to Jesus. That's what attracted you to the Bible. That's what attracted you to God's people was his presence that we manifest. And then he kept reading. In John chapter 1, John chapter 2, and he got to John chapter 3, and Jesus and Nicodemus, and he had a revelation of his personal sin and the cross, and he laid down on his living room floor and he gave his life to Jesus, ended up becoming one of our elders and one of our pastors, and one of the greatest men I've ever worked with in my life. The Lord called him home, and it was all because of joy. It says in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, Acts chapter 9, verse 42, Acts chapter 11, verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with these early Christians and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. That's another thing about a great church. There's great number. Now, in our culture, a lot of people think think that's the only thing that constitutes a great church. It's not so. Size, sound, and signs do not always equal rightness. But a healthy church, no matter the size, will grow. As I began to travel internationally, all these different methods of church in America, I said, Holy Spirit, you've got to show me. I can't preach American culture in Poland and in Vanuatu. And I can't do that. I can't preach that in Thailand. I can't preach that in Zambia. You've got to show me, Lord, what really constitutes a healthy church. It's a place where truth is proclaimed, needs are met, and relationships are built. Does that sound like Thrive Church? I prophesy to you that if you will serve the Lord, this church will grow. Is it any wonder this book of Acts church had great number when they had great power and great grace and great fear and great joy? I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would, please. I'm going to ask you this question. What is the church? What is the church? Well, for this church, it's not a building. That's good and bad. Isn't it funny how life is a two-sided coin? We need a building, but we know it's not the answer. What is the church? Is it a doctrinal statement? That's important. What is the church? What is the church made of? Is is it made of brick and mortar and decrees and creeds and doctrinal statements? All of those things are important. But you know what the church is made up of? People. A great church is made up of great people. You don't have to be famous to be great in God's eyes. You don't have to write a book. You don't have to record an album. Wouldn't hurt if you did, but... You just got to be a great person. You can't do that on your own. You can't really forgive people on your own any more than you can save your soul on your own. You got to have the Holy Spirit drawing and quickening and working in your life and making all of this real. You love God. You love other people with all their warts. You're quick to pray and you're slow to judge. You're 
great people because you behave yourself on social media. Did I just say that? In our church, we have a covenant you have to sign if you want to become a member of the church of what you won't say on social media. You don't say everything you think, do you? You have a filter, don't you? Do you think your political views out there is going to change anybody's mind? It's just going to add to the gap that's in America, the political gap, the racial gap. It's just going to add to it. God wants you to be a bridge builder. That's what He wants you to be. He wants you to catch fish, and then He'll clean them. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good, but I'm preaching good right there. So my question is, are you a great person? Are you honest? Are you a person of integrity? If you're a new Christian, it's time for you to start tithing. And don't just stop there. Give your alms. You say, how does that work? How can I give away 10% of my income? I'm telling you, I've lived my life this way the, my whole entire life. I start tithing as a fourth grade kid. And I even give extra because I don't want to cheat God. And He's always blessed me. I have a $60,000 car out there in the parking lot I bought for my wife. God gave me a deal on it. I paid $25,600 on it. You say, you're lucky. No, I serve God. He gives me deals all the time. I'll see some dude with a pair of shoes that I like. I say, I can't wear them now. I'm into real stylish boots now. I'll say, man, Lord, I'd really like to have a pair of those shoes. I say, what'd you pay for them? Oh, I paid 250 bucks. And all of a sudden, somebody will give me a pair of those shoes. My son will send me a pair in the mail. I'll find a pair for 30 bucks. When you live right and you do right and you believe right, that's what makes a great church. It's going to take a great church to reach this generation. I'm asking you to keep the fire burning in your life because a great church is a vibrant for God in any community. An on-fire Christian is a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Thrive Church. We want to be a great church, Lord. We want your power. We want your presence. We want your grace. And we do fear you, Lord. We're not flippant with you. Our relationship with you is holy and sacred and real and special. Lord, would you forgive the church in America for the way we gossip and slander about preachers and church leaders. They make mistakes all over the world in Africa and Latin America and Asia and the South Pacific. But the Western world feels like they have a right to tear down God's servants. It's sin. And we ask you to forgive us of it. intercede for our leaders thank you for sending Pastor Brian and Angela and their family here to Lockport to launch this church only 3% of ministers in North America have the leadership gifting and the faith to launch a church and out of those 3% 1.5% fail and this church is still going we have a one percenter here and the bikers know what I'm praying. This is the best of the best. And Lord, you know that we're not going to put all of our eggs in one basket getting a building, but you're leading us to get a build, getting, getting a building, Lord. Thank you that we've got money in the bank, but we pray you double and triple that within this next year. We pray you'd provide God supernaturally, God, 
our own place. We want to be a great church. We want to be a soul-winning church. We want to be a presence-based church. We want to be a giving church. We want to be a praying church. Help us to be great people. Can't do it on our own. Cannot be the men. Cannot be the husbands. Cannot be the fathers, the father-in-laws, the grandfathers that we need to be without you, Jesus. Could we just lift our hands and say, Oh, Lord. Help me to be the man you want me to be. Help me to be the woman you want me to be. Help me to be the person you want me to be. I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you, Lord. I open up my heart to you, Jesus. Thank you for leading me to Thrive Church, Lord. Thank you that I get to be a part of the very beginning and the very foundation. Help me to be the person you want me to be, Lord. Help me to be better. Help me to be closer. Help me to be more full of your spirit. Help me to honor you like I've never honored you before with my time, with everything, Jesus, my talent, my treasure, everything. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Thank you for your attention to the Word of God today. I said it earlier and I'll say it again. I can tell a church that has a good preaching pastor. so grateful for your pastor so grateful for the leaders of this church who have hung in there through thick and thin people say something bad to you about one of your leaders say well I know him and that sure doesn't sound like him let's go talk to him don't be like everybody else in America and bash people online with that stop that that's a work of the flesh have some more self-control than that. We point our finger one way and there's three fingers pointing back. Every year I take a fast from social media, usually in July. This year I did it in October and to tell you the truth, the Lord has weaned me. I still have all my accounts. I still post something occasionally. But it's just about family, not in a braggadocious way, but just about family, or it's always encouraging. I'm not tearing down some political party. I'm not tearing down somebody that feels different than me. I'm not putting bad stuff on there about City Hall. I don't do any of that stuff. You can check my social media accounts if you want, and you won't find anything on there. I want to be salt and light. I want to be a witness for Jesus. You're here today, just before we sing a song and close this service. And say, Preacher, I've been taking my relationship with Jesus way too casual. I'm not where I need to be with Him. I need to be closer to the Lord. I need to be more full of His Spirit. I need to be the person He wants me to be, if that's you. And you want us to pray for you. I want you to lift your head up. Open your eyes. If that's you, don't everybody lift your head up and open your eyes. But if that's you, you want to be closer. You need the Holy Spirit to work deeper in your life. Lift your head up. Open your eyes and look at me. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. 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 Thank you, mom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I knew the Lord was dealing with you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, I thank you for people who want more of you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. We need you. We want you. Some people, they don't want you. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to get dressed. They don't want to come to church. We've made it easy for people to just stay at home and watch online. We'll go to ball games. People were there in Green Bay last night, and it was snowing and freezing cold, but people won't even go to church. Forgive us, Lord. Draw my brothers and sisters closer to you. Pray this prayer in your heart of hearts. Dear Jesus, I want to know you in your fullness. 
I ask you, Jesus, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. You know my sins and iniquities, Lord, and I confess them to you. I believe you died on the cross and shed your blood for me. I want you to be my true Savior and true Lord. I want to do more than get to heaven, Lord. I want to live for you here on earth. I want your hand upon my life. I want your purpose and your blessing. I want to be the great person that you want me to be. Lord, you've heard the hearts and prayers of your people. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. Oh,